any of your problems. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mark, you don't know, though. It's I got some big ones. Yeah, you know what? That's all right, because he's a big God. I mean, think about it, and we've said it before. If the whole universe fits between his thumb and his pinky, and Earth is somewhere in there, and then there's you and your problem, I'm really, how big is that problem? It's not big to God at all. One of Saul's greatest failures as king was he had a problem and I think it's the problem that a lot of us have. He had a problem of keeping his hands off things. He couldn't keep his hands off the situation and let God work. follow the atoning of Saul as king of Israel, God arranges his daily life according to his sovereign purpose. We should never get so caught up in the day-to-day routines that we neglect to notice God's leading and direction. God continues to confirm to Saul that he has chosen him for the job, even though Saul hides from and avoids his calling at every opportunity. In today's message, Pastor Mark will comfort us with the reassurance of God's power and intimate involvement in our daily lives. Are you stressed out about the details in your life? Remember that God is in control. He will guide and take care of you. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10 with today's edition of Come Alive. Last week, we kind of talked about how Saul and Samuel, and one of the, the main things, how Saul and Samuel, they kind of meet up, you know, but, and not by chance, not by coincidence, but by design, and that God has a plan for every person's life. And so Saul is uh, going to be anointed king. And when, you know, he goes out looking for his dad's donkeys, he never knew that he would run into a guy named Samuel and find out the things that he finds out. And we'll pick up in verse 27 as we are in 1 Samuel chapter 10. But look at verse 27 of chapter 9 of the previous chapter. And it says, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. And then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Here we see the separating of Saul through the prophet Samuel. The oil, obviously, hopefully, we all know this, but in case you don't, take note. It symbolized the inheritance that Saul was about to be given. Salvation is a matter when we think about salvation and we talk about salvation. We should also know that salvation is a matter of God's favor on man. If you remember the angels declaring the day Jesus was born, it says, Behold the peace on earth and goodwill toward man upon whom his favor rests. And so I find it interesting that someone would think that God is actually mad at them. I was speaking to somebody this week, and they told me, I think God's really angry with me or really mad at me. And I said, well, part of that may be true, and and I'm sorry you feel that way, but God's really madly in love with you, just he's not mad at you. He cares concerning your well-being, and it is his favor. And so as a Christian, we need to understand that. And so the oil will represent the work of his spirit and acts The Holy Spirit was on the apostles, and and here we see the oil being poured out upon Saul. 
And so here's this, this symbolic, this symbolism of, of the Holy Spirit coming on, upon Saul. And it's calling you saying, come on, I got a plan. And, and, and my plan includes an inheritance. And that's the Father speaking. And so there's this plan, an inheritance. The, the inheritance that the Bible tells us will never spoil. It'll never, ever perish is what we're told. It'll never fade. And that's how salvation begins, the favor of God and the work of the Spirit. Let's pick up in verse 2. It says, When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Saul had already heard this news. The, the news he had already heard from Samuel a little while ago. And either these men knew who Saul was or God had told them and he had been looking for his property. So, you know, nothing's impossible for God. Nothing at all. Just the um, Friday, our air conditioning went out. And I remember I came in, you know, it was working great because I was even complaining about how cold it was earlier in the afternoon. I was like, man, it's kind of cold in here. And and, um, it could be one of those things, well, see, that's what you get. That's what you get for saying that. And then all of a sudden he goes, I'll show you too cold. And, but that's not how God works. But our air conditioning had gone out. And I remember when I came back into the house after we'd gone someplace, I was like, man, I knew right when I walked in, I just knew that the air conditioning was out. And when I walked in there, I was like, man, I can't believe this. And then my son was like, well, nothing's too hard for God, Dad. And I was like, that's right. That's what our Bible study was about this morning. And, and we had talked about nothing being too hard for God. And so he's like, he can fix it. And I'm like, sure he can. And um, he's going to have me write a check. And he'll have some guy show up. And, and he'll fix it that way. But, you know, we did. We even prayed for the air conditioner to, to be healed. And um, it did work a little bit that evening. And, and yesterday, it completely, the Lord took it home, <laughs> I guess, so to speak. Um, I don't know what happened to it. But anyway, so, you know, nothing's impossible for God. He tells these guys on the road, hey, this guy saw, I don't know how it all played out. But again, what this was good for Saul because it assured him that God could solve his problems. It's good for me when I was reading this to show me that God can solve any of my problems. And it's good for you as we look at it today, saying that God can solve any of your problems. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mark, you don't know, though. It's, I got some big ones. Yeah, you know what? That's all right, because he's a big God. I mean, think about it, and we've said it before. If the whole universe fits between his thumb and his pinky, and earth is somewhere in there, and then there's you and your problem, really, how big is that problem? It's not big to God at all. One of Saul's greatest failures as king was he had a problem, and I think it's the problem that a lot of us have. He had a problem of keeping his hands off things. He couldn't keep his hands off the situation and let God work. He was kind of a control freak, so to speak. And so here, you know, you might think, well, yeah, that's kind of like me. I'm kind of a control freak. When it comes to my problems, I want to control everything that goes, and I I, I need to have it planned out exactly like this instead of just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea where to start. And he will show you and he will guide you. And in verse 2, it's, it's a, again, if you look, it's a father right here that is so concerned about a child. So Saul here, he gets a sign. It was a meeting with two men who will reassure that his father about his safety. Your heavenly father is concerned and he wants the very best for you and me. So here we see that there's the concern of a dad here. 
And so in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus declares, Come to me, all who are heavy laden and ha- have these heavy burdens, and let me give you rest for your souls. See, he, he understands. Jesus came to earth, and, and he understands that this earth that we live on is a tough place, especially when you think about it back in the time when Jesus said this. They didn't have air conditionings or cars. Uh, they walked, and they had to deal with the heat. They had to sleep. And so when you think about when he said this, come to me, all of you, I was like, their burdens were pretty heavy. They had some tough burdens. And, and the things that we take for granted are a burden to us now. No air conditioning. You know, that was just kind of, you didn't wake up in the morning thinking you were going to be cool in the evening, that you would have something blowing on your face. And so God's saying, I'm concerned about you. When we look at this verse and we see what he's saying, he's saying, I'm concerned about you. He's concerned about us, but it doesn't just stop with the concern of the father. It also speaks of communion of the family. If you look at these verses with me, verse three, it says, then you shall go on forward from there and come to a terebinth tree of Tabor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a skin of wine. Do you see how this works here? Here's the, the three young goats, speaking of sacrifice. And so one carrying bread, one carrying wine, and that's speaking of communion. So the sacrifice, the bread, and the wine. And we as Christians enjoy the communion of the Lord. We enjoy communion with one another as well. And so we also enjoy sacrifice. God, I give you my life. We enjoy that as Christians. We should enjoy that because it allows us and it opens up opportunities for us that nobody else in the world has. We as only Christians can say, Lord, I give you my life. I give it to you. I hand it over to you day by day so I can watch you do an amazing, miraculous work in this day. And and I think as Christians, if we do that quite often, we will be amazed at what the Lord does. And so we can say that. I have given you my life. And you might say, but wait a minute, the person next to me has given their life to God as well. And for that reason of surrendering your hearts to God, we have that sweet communion. We have something. Now you may not know the person next to you, or you may. But the reason you know them most likely, because if you came here and you met them, is because of Jesus Christ. Because we have given something. We have made a sacrifice. We've denied ourselves and said, hey, here it is. Here's my life, Lord. Take it. Take it away from me. I'm going to go ahead and die right now because that's what we're called to do when we do the baptism. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Look at verse 4. It says, And they will greet you. They'll give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instruments, a tambourine, a flute, a harp before them and they will be prophesying and so here they have this sweet communion with these people they're going to meet these people and there's something special about communion and something special about the fellowship where the bible teaches is that we should provoke one another we should encourage one another to do these good deeds well what good deeds are those well the good deeds that jesus would do because if we are called to be Christians, we are to be Christ-like. And Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, And let this mind be in you, right? What mind is that? The mind of Christ. And what's Christ's mind all about? Well, exalting and glorifying God. That's what it's all about. But yet, sometimes we get it all twisted up and we start to exalt and glorify ourselves. We start to do these little things for us. For our kingdom. 
and not for his kingdom. So we go out into the world and, and we get beat up. And we do. We get beat up. And if you're here to encourage one another, you get right back on that path of righteousness. That's why we come to church. It's kind of like the only way I can figure it, because I don't know any other sports that really huddle. I mean, I went to a hockey game. They kind of huddle. But it's kind of football. These guys go. They make a play. They get beat up. They run back. They huddle. They make another plan. This is how we're going to move this little brown ball down the field to that big area so we can get some points. So they huddle up. And we as Christians need to do the same thing. We go out into the world. It kind of beats us up. Anybody ever been beat up by the world? How about this week? Anyone beat up this week by the world? I have been. And so we gather together corporately to come together and to help each other and praise the Lord and pray for one another and worship the Lord together and read his word and find out how we should live a righteous life before him so we can go back out there and get what? Beat up again, but yet to how to defend ourselves a little better. How to stay away from certain things that could be horrible or or bad for us. And so we come here so we can encourage one another to get back on that path of righteousness to that which we've been called. The one carrying the sacrifice could represent God, if you look at these guys. He could be representing God because he's carrying the sacrifice. The one carrying the bread, well, that would be Jesus because Jesus says, I am the bread. And the one carrying the wine could represent the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure. I'm not making a doctrine out of it. I'm not saying that's what it is. That's just what it looks like to me because the Holy Spirit says he, he is like new wine. And so here we see this, this neat representation of communion here in 1 Samuel chapter 10. So it starts with the concern of the father and then communion with the family. And then, verse 6, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So I am now Mark, the new man. The old Mark, well, He's buried someplace in a swimming pool in Webster, Texas at a community center. Now, before you call the police, it was a symbolic death. And so, see, the old Mark used to love sin. I used to love it. I just ran to it. I mean, every chance I got, I'd go to it. But now, then, rather than move towards sin, the new Mark, the new man, I have a motivation each and every day to move away from sin. And what is that motivation? Well, what happened to the man that was motivated to to sin that was led by the flesh? Well, there was a transformation by God. There was this transformation, and God did it. And if I find myself struggling with those old things, I can turn to my brothers and my sisters and say, Hey, can you guys pray for me? I'm really struggling with this. I'm having a hard time. I'm really struggling with dealing with this situation. And so I can call some people and they can say, yeah, man, you know, uh, I'll pray. Basically, all it is is, hey, bro, help me. And I think what happens is a lot of times we as Christians, we don't make that call. And the reason we don't make that call is because we're too prideful. Oh, man, I'm already ashamed enough. I got to tell another person I've blown it. You don't have to lay out the details. God knows the details. Now, maybe the Lord says, well, maybe you should tell somebody the details so we can continue to hold you accountable to just check you every now and then. I have friends that do this that are like, hey, I'm their accountability partner. Once a week, I call a guy up in Michigan and say, hey, dude, how's life? How's it going? And let me ask you about this. 
And when he tells me, oh, no, everything's good. Are you telling me the truth? Yeah, I'm telling you the truth. Why are you stuttering? Well, be real honest with you. Well, you're supposed to be real honest with me when I ask the question. And so sometimes accountability is that tough love. But it's love nonetheless. It's not that I'm mad at him. I just want to make sure he's growing and he's walking. So there's that communion that we have. And that old man needs to sometimes, sometimes we need help keeping that old man down. He needs a bonk on the head, knock him out. But as you do this, it becomes easier and easier to walk your walk. And yeah, there are new temptations that pop up every now and then. But again, hey, bro, help me. Look at verse 7. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings seven days and you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Now, what is Samuel saying to Saul? What's he saying here? He's saying, you've been liberated to do whatever you want to do, but don't do a thing until I talk with you. And you might be like, well, wait a minute, that's kind of a little bit of a contradiction. You can do whatever you want to do, but don't do it until I talk to you. Well, it's true. The Christian life, we need to understand this, and if you're taking note, the Christian life has limitations, and it has some liberties. We have some liberties, and we have some limitations. And so here's an illustration. Let's say two guys are about to run a race on a very narrow path, And just as the guy shoots the gun to start them off, one of the guys somehow gets turned around and starts running the opposite direction. And some of us kind of chuckle at that, and it's funny because it is funny. I mean, like, how would that happen? Who's going to win the race? The guy running the right direction or the guy running the wrong direction? Well, of course, the guy running the right direction. And so that's what happens. And so the coach is like, hey, you got to turn around. You've got to turn around. If you don't, you're not going to win the race. You're not even going to finish the race. But the guy could say, no, 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 no. It's good. I'm fast, and I'm on the right path. And all of that is true. He's on the right path, and he is fast. There's no denying it. But I don't say as the coach, I don't doubt that you're fast or even on the right path. But I'm here to tell you, you're going the wrong way. And if you keep going the wrong way, you're going to lose. It doesn't matter. The guy running the right direction will win. The other guy running the wrong direction on the right path, he's not going to win. He will lose. So in the Christian faith, I've got incredible liberty. I can do things that I could never do before when I wasn't a Christian. I have a liberty to do certain things that I could never do before when I wasn't a Christian. One of those amazing things to me is entering into the throne room of God. Who has access to that besides you and I as Christians? No one. No one has access to that. So why? Well, if you think about it, I've been freed from that harness that held me, that sin that used to hold me back. And so I've been free. When I met the Lord, he has liberated me to be what he called me to be. Another thing is I can actually hear the voice of God. I can actually hear his voice when he speaks. Now, is it an audible voice? No, but we know when God speaks, he speaks through his word. Sometimes he speaks through you guys. And you can discern, whoa, that's the voice of the Lord. That's him telling me, hey, stay away from that. Or, hey, good job, go forward. Or, just wait. Sometimes the Lord says wait. 
And so when I open his word, I can see what it is that he's saying before. I had no clue before. Do you remember before you were saved, if you opened the Bible and you tried to read it, it was just like, what is this thing saying to me? I don't understand it. So I had no understanding of his will beforehand. And with God's spirit speaking to my heart, I can go on to a successful path because God has placed my feet in the right direction. He's taken me and turned me around and put me on the right path in the right direction. And so I'll stay on that path and head towards the finish line. And the Bible does talk about our walk as being a race, that we want to finish the race that we start. And we talked a week ago or a few weeks ago that a lot of people start well. We call them sprinters. They start very well, but sometimes something happens. We read about two gentlemen who started very well, and they didn't finish. See, but if you go the wrong direction, thinking that you're doing the right thing, but it's really wrong, well, that's why your coach, it may be a pastor, it could be a friend that's a Christian, that are saying, hey, you're going the wrong way. And here's the deal. No one, who in here wants to do the wrong thing? Nobody wants to. Everybody wants to do the right thing. So liberty with limitations is what we have. We have liberty to do whatever we want to do, but there's a limitation as to when or how or we should do it. And we need to think about that. Many people out there have had you placed in, in their path. And so what happens is sometimes we remove ourselves from those frustrations and liberty has to do with the Spirit. When we move ourselves from those frustrations, that liberty has to do with the Holy Spirit. And again, you've been placed in the path of somebody somewhere as a Christian. His Holy Spirit is maybe courting or cooing somebody. And you might know them. You might have had some conversations with them about Christian things. Maybe they've had some questions for you, and, and you didn't know how to answer them. But you can always say, wow, you know, that's the Holy Spirit starting to work in this person's life. You start to see it. And so the Father who does care for them, or, or you know, you, you see this happening a lot. And so you'll bear witness. You'll talk about your Heavenly Father loving them. Hey, man, you got somebody in heaven? Yeah, you may not feel loved here. You may not feel loved at home. But, man, there's a Heavenly Father in heaven. He loves you. He loves you so much that he allowed his son to die for you. So there's that fatherly concern. And now a bunch of brothers and sisters in the Lord, you know, they enjoy communion. And you say, hey, there's this guy, there's this girl. Will you pray for them? And they start to pray. You invite them to church and they meet them. And our prayer every Sunday morning is, is when somebody comes up to this building that they feel the love of the Lord. That they feel that God is moving. The people we meet in the book of 1 Samuel are quite the characters. We meet a woman who gave her only child to God and a boy who heard and answered the call of the Lord. We also find a frightened king and a brave shepherd boy, both of whom would lead the people of Israel. Through each of these people and circumstances, we discover God's hand at work in powerful ways. We are so glad you tuned in today to Come Alive. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play or iTunes to keep up to date with the latest from Come Alive and the church behind it. Calvary Chapel Katy is led by Pastor Mark Martinez and a staff of Jesus-loving, friendly people who do all we can to spread the good news of the gospel to all who walk through our doors. If you're in the Katy area, Tracy has an invitation for you. We'd absolutely love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Katy for our Sunday morning service. 
We're now meeting at Wood Creek Elementary School, located at 1155 Wood Creek Bend Lane. It's exciting to be in a new space, and we hope you're able to come worship the Savior and study the Bible with us, filling our new home with praise and prayer. Give us a call for more information and directions, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. That's 281-391-5503. Thanks for listening today to Come Alive.